Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with a special episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League, Bundesliga, Champions League, and for this episode and this episode only, the Euro 2020. But with me, as always, the shirt grab to my Chiellini, Billy. It still hurts. That's still incredibly raw, but it's been so long since we've done that. I'm actually going to let it go. I'm so happy. I'm so gassed. the, the amount of gas does not begin. Uh, you, you can't put it into words. Butch and Sundance are back, baby. Oh, I'm so happy. So for this episode, we're going to take a look at, look back at the European championships that have just happened. We're not going to look at like every match, like not every group stage game. We're going to take a look at the best teams that played the best moments and give some thoughts and musings, as we often do here, on goals, players and the drama behind the scenes for certain nations. So I think that was, that was very, very pointed right there. Loaded, a loaded statement right there. Without further gilding the lily and with no more ado, let's jump right in with tournament winners. Let's talk Italy. So I know, I know this is incredibly raw for you still, you know, only a week. I'm getting it out of the way. Good lad, good lad, because it's it's only been a week, and you know. Oof. But anyways, I only just worn off as well. <laughs> I was about to say the te- the 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 text I got off of you after uh, Luke Shaw scored. Oh, one some for the ages, really. I'm pretty sure I have them starred on my WhatsApp, but you know, my life peaked two minutes into the Euro final. <laughs> Oh no! I'm I, and the worst bit is, I'm pretty sure everyone in that stadium thought, "Oh, it really is coming home. It really is." But we're straying away from the tournament winners. Sadly, it wasn't England, but Italy. They weren't really the hot favorites. Like I think you'd agree with me on that. Like they weren't the ones who everyone was like, "Ah, right, it's going to be either Italy or someone else." Everyone was like, "Italy could do it because they seem to have a solid team together." But they didn't really show their full ambitions until the group stages. And then after the group stages, everyone was kind of like, whoa, okay, we've awoken the beast here. They've gone and just, they, they just started killing teams left, right, and center. Yeah, it was Italy were a weird one because before the tournament, they'd not conceded in like 10 games or something. And everyone was gassing it up. It's like, oh, but they've not conceded in 10 games. It's like, yeah, okay. But let's, you know, look at the teams they've played in those 10 games. You know, Sam Marino were in there, for crying out loud. But yeah. Yeah. honestly, throughout the whole tournament, to only concede, what, three goals? Only topped by England, who conceded two. Was utterly ridiculous. Chiellini and Bonucci in their golden years, still absolutely killing it. Oh yeah, I think they that center back partnership showed the world how you defend without being overly 
flamboyant, if you will, or, you know, having not being those center backs who also spray a 70 yard diagonal ball right over to Kiesa or something like that. They, you know, they were, they were just no nonsense defenders. They, they basically put the Sunday league aspect of defending into professional football, but then obviously not exactly Sunday league because those, what they defended was unbelievable. It was just, it was for lack of a better word, a brick wall. And and then even if you managed to get past either of those two, you then had Donna Rumor who's just an absolute behemoth of a goalkeeper. Oh yeah. Six foot five. You're not putting every shot past that guy. And there's a reason, you know, now he's been signed by PSG and he's going he's slowly moving into that uh, almost Gianluigi Buffon uh, status of Italian goalkeepers, you know, being, I mean, he, he even broke uh, the Italian goalkeeper Dino Tops record for the longest time for not conceding a goal. And, you know, that record stood since 1975 or 74, I think. He's been around since he was 16. It's utterly ridiculous that he's only now like 23. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's taken the time, you know, at 16. Yes, he made waves at 16 for becoming AC Milan's youngest starter ever and becoming one of the youngest starters in Europe in general. But he came into an AC Milan team who, unlike that team that was so good around the mid-2000s era, he came into a decimated AC Milan team where he had the time and very little pressure to slowly grow into that goalkeeping goalkeeper that he is now and now obviously you know with the progression of ac milan now getting back to their former glory donnarumma has gone and become a goalkeeper equal to those standards and even more because i mean obviously now he's just joined a team in psg who have shown in their in their transfer signings this summer that they mean business when it comes to the champions league definitely well speaking of the champions league one of Italy's players won the Champions League and was actually really good in the Euros. And Jorginho, I'm a bit hit hit and miss with Jorginho because sometimes he can be really good. But he also yeah. ruins it by being absolute garbage sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's. I also thought, you know, at Chelsea wasn't, he wasn't really continually starting. Like he wasn't the, you know, he's not, he's a little bit overshadowed by N'Golo Kante almost. Um, I mean, obviously N'Golo Kante, probably the best center defensive midfielder in the world right now. And I wouldn't even peg Jorginho to be, you know, the second best in that. I'd, I'd probably put Yuzo Kimish above him, but Jorginho really stepped up in, or for Italy. And he really acted in many ways, almost like Tony Kors does for Real Madrid um, and used to do for Germany now, um, and being kind of like the tempo dictator, if you will. Like he 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 chose when when Italy had to you know slow play down a little bit, and he made sure that they then started back up when they you know they they needed to make a move, and i think it was he kind of grew into this position more and more over the tournament and by the final you know even though he did miss his penalty by the final he was still that decisive player and i thought you know in midfield 
he was a little bit of an un, he was he was the he was the hero who wasn't in the spotlight. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird role defensive midfield. I think if people are talking about you a lot, it probably means you're not doing your job properly. It's one of those ones that normally goes along unnoticed. Oh yeah, I mean the last time Chelsea had a center defensive midfielder who was talked about as much as N'Golo Kante now was Bakayoko, and he was just god awful for him. That's what I mean. Bakayoko was mentioned every time Chelsea played for the wrong reasons. And yeah. like you know, Jorginho can play really well and not get a mention, but he makes a horrendous back pass. Like I think it was against Man City, and then you just screwed. Yeah, yeah. Like that's all people talk about for like six or seven weeks, but he really did step up. But if, if you oh, lose yeah. the battle and all like people are tipping him to, I think I genuinely might just give up with that. I'd say if it should be between either or the, the top three are probably going to be right. Just putting it out right now is probably going to be Messi, Lewandowski and Kante. I just don't see any other three players really stepping up for that. You know, Lewandowski don't really need to say why and Golo Kante almost much the same. And Messi just finally managed to win the Copa America and his first international title with uh, Argentina. And he was by far, he carried that team during that tournament. So I'd peg those three. I can't argue with that. And just before we finish with Italy, there's some, some other breakthrough players that we want to talk about. Oh yeah. Who, who do you want to start with? Cause I've got two, two breakthrough players who I think many people or many teams are now going to have on their lists in this transfer window. Well, I want to start with Spinazzola. Yes. Because he played against United in the Europa League semi-final, first leg. And for 20 minutes, tore shreds out of Aaron Wambasaka and <laughs> then got injured. Yeah. Got fit for the Euros again, up until he got injured, tore absolute shreds out of people. But... Injury prone. Had he not done his ACL, I think Roma would have done very would have done very well to keep hold of him. Yeah, I or I I'm pretty sure it was his uh, his Achilles actually, which is even worse or almost. Yeah, that's it. His Achilles. I'm not sure if it's worse. I'm not sure if it's worse, but it really. I mean, Achilles tendons are very very harsh injuries to come back from. So, um, yeah, I'm. I don't know how long it's... I mean, he's probably going to be out for about six months. So Roma are going to keep him, and I hope he gets back to the uh, pre-injury form that he had. But it obviously, you know, without any contact whatsoever, it just made, took a step and his Achilles just went. So it's always harsh. So do you want to talk the other breakthrough for Italy? Well, I don't know if you think... I might actually surprise you with this one because I know we both have one big breakthrough player, but also Lucatelli. I feel like he almost fell victim to Jorginho's rise and, uh, and constant improvement during the tournament because during the first few matches when Jorginho wasn't fully at 100%, Lucatelli did more than fill his shoes and, you know, I mean, two goals against Switzerland. He was instrumental for that group stage as well. And I think for the fact that, that he played such a big role in 
the group stages, I feel like he almost missed out a little bit on playing time. But then again, I don't think anyone's going to criticize Mancini for doing so when you've got Jorginho pulling the performances that he did. So, Well, that's the thing. A bit of a sidetrack, but that was the big thing with Mancini because he went to the... Was it the, was it the 1980 World Cup he went to? I believe. And I believe didn't get, so. didn't get yeah. any minutes at all. Which is yeah. why when they were already through and they were like, what was it? 3 0 up against Switzerland, he brought on all the players. He brought on the goal that really that what was it, thirty-five year old goalkeeper and just to give them a, a tournament experience, which I think was really nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And with Locatelli, it's 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 an interesting one because it's good and it's bad. Because Sassuolo are gonna lose one of their better players. Yeah. But you think about the fee they can they can command for the for for him after that tournament. Yeah, uh, it's definitely going to be. Uh, I I'd say you could probably go thirty to forty million at least, if not more. And obviously, there's obviously Juventus are involved because it's an Italian player. I <laughs> like Bayern. Oh, they really are. It basically is like any big Italian player, Juve are going to go in for him. Which, and interestingly, Arsenal are the other name thrown around. Okay, that's kind of funny because I, we've are... said it. <laughs> we've we've said it multiple times on this podcast. They've kind of faded into irrelevance at this point. Like they're not even in the in the Europa League anymore. You know, why would you go there? Again, probably Juve, but. If Arsenal just just spent fifty million on Ben White, it's very unlikely Arsenal, who don't spend a lot of money anyway, are going to spend another forty fifty million on a on a midfielder. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. Um, but speaking of Juve, probably the player that we're probably we're going to agree on most, and the guy who now shot himself up from a talented Italian player to a at least in Europe, very well-known name and probably worldwide now, Federico Chiesa. Because this kid, I mean, everyone's going, everyone wants him now. You know, United, Bayern, Chelsea, just to name a few, they all want him. But can you, can you, you can't disagree with it. You can't, you can't give a reason why, because he's, He's quick. He can finish. He can pass. He can cross. He can dribble. And he's fast. Oh, it's only going to do him the world of good playing up top or alongside Ronaldo for at least another season. Yeah, I think no one or I don't, Juve just don't even want to bother listening to any offers because I think, you know, they could they could easily put a price, slap a price tag on him of 100 million or more if they wanted to. I think... If they're going to get rid of a player this summer, it's probably going to be Ronaldo, if we're being honest. And I mean, there's even rumors of Ronaldo being, you know, offered for as little as 30 million. So it, I'd say if, if one of those wingers is leaving Juve, it's probably Ronaldo. And that in and of itself is already, that'd be a big step. Well, just finishing from the uh, from the good, just a, a little touch on the bad. Uh, Chiro Immobile really yeah. wasn't anything 
Yeah, you know, um, the, the Syria Golden Boot winner, and his most memorable moment was pretending he'd been shot and then running. When Insigne scored, yeah, you know the miraculous recovery of Chiro Immobile. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, that was his highlight for the for the Euro twenty twenty, and when that's your highlight as a striker, he had, like you said, you know, Golden Boot winner, and you know the me- most memorable thing is a, is is pretending or faking an injury and he was substituted off so often, you know, you had Bellotti coming on for him uh, or, uh, or um, Benadeschi even, you know, it was just, he was always substituted off because he just, he wasn't at the races, you know, for some, like he went into the tournament with equal expectations or similar expectations of what everyone had of Lukaku and Lukaku in compare by comparison delivered. And Immobile just didn't. It's a, diff- it's a difficult one because Immobile, he had that ridiculous season last season, but it is that thing of he does do this. Dortmund, eh. Sevilla, yeah. eh. You, 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 it does happen. Like, he could go for Lazio next season and score three, and I don't think anyone would be remotely shocked. Now I've said that, he'll score like 50. <laughs> yeah, but then again, if if we look at it, you know, in the leagues that really... Because if we're being honest, Syria is now only starting to progress back up. And I'd go as far as to say that Syria is probably the fourth out of the five top leagues. Because I'd place La Liga and Bundesliga over Syria any day. And in those two leagues, Immobile didn't deliver anywhere nearly like he did for Lazio. So it's, uh, one it's thing, a hard one. One thing yeah. I can say in his defense is I don't think Italy is set up for a, a target man. For like, for like a genuine yeah. number nine. I think if they were to play... If they were to play two up front, but have a, like a fluid two of Chiesa and Insigne. Yeah. I think they'd be better set up because they don't put a lot of high crosses in. It's all along the floor. Or they yeah, play through it, teams. Yeah, and Italy aren't a tall team either. Like if you look just... Basically, you know, Donnarumma, Chiellini, Bonucci are the tallest players. And they're just kind of goes shorter and shorter until you hit Insigne at five foot five. <laughs> so I don't think you're going to put in crosses that are on the height where Harry Maguire was, you know, with six foot four and a solid hop. Probably not going to do too much. Well, good segue on the subject of Harry oh, yeah. Maguire. Let's, let's get out of the way. Let's, let's unpack England at the tournament. I think this is a very complex one because England for the first time since I remember watching international tournaments, you know, the first one probably that I properly remember is the world cup 2006. And that was a team, you know, with a midfield of Beckham skulls, Gerard Lampard, you know, ridiculous team. If we're being honest, you know, Ferdinand at the back, Terry, Ashley Cole, that was a team that probably should have at least made it to a semifinal, if not a final as well. And didn't. And it seemed to be, you know, that type of like England just seemed to be the team that every time had a had players worth making it to a final, but they just never seemed to click. And it seemed to be that like it would be the story of England that they always had a decent team, but somehow just never made it. And in all honesty, I really thought this England team would would probably do it. Because, you know, it was 
it was almost like it was it was uh it, it was mapped out for them really but you had you had the team to climb to victory you had the right amount of experience the right amount of young talent you didn't have arguably you had less top star top world-class stars you know really like when i'm saying stars you know when you can offer up a midfield of skulls beckham uh gerard and lampard i'd argue that the midfield that england offered up this time around had less of a star allure but still i'd peg this england team obviously because they they made it to a final i'd peg this england team over that one in the world cup 2006 for instance and, you know, that's why it seemed to be also mapped out for them. And, you know, they also had six out of seven matches where they could play at Wembley. You know, they had the least amount of travel or traveling to do from of any team. And they didn't hey, concede until the semifinal. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, I, it's interesting you say that because... I think no one would no one would argue if I called the midfield quite industrious when you've got Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips in there. Oh yeah, and I was one of many England fans that when Calvin Phillips started against Croatia was like, oh, why why is why is Phillips starting? Why why is he playing two defensive midfielders? Why is Sterling starting? And then it's like come the end of the <laughs> tournament, it's like I would throw myself in front of a bus for every single one of these players. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk the final in a minute and we'll talk, um, you know, the reputation England have. Yeah, The perception of other, other nations. But you sl- slag us off all you want because the minority of England fans will not stop this from being the best summer of football that I've ever had. Like everyone was together singing, celebrating. I've got people like around me that who've never taken an interest in football in their lives, properly invested in those games. Granted, it mainly to thirst over Jack Grealish, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> baby steps. This is how it starts. You indoctrinate them early with one of the uh, the hot players, and then it's like, oh, but Jack Grealish isn't playing. But look other players are playing and then they start watching the games just because they like the games. This is how it starts. Oh, 100%. I'm, I will never take away from that because also English fans should be unbelievably proud of what their team achieved. Oh, God. I, I, three missed penalties or not. Like I said, I throw myself in front of a bus for those players. I, I think a lot of people would. Because exactly. it's going to sound incredible, incredibly cheesy and incredibly cliche, but it's been such a, it's been such a wank year. <laughs> and it's like everyone was together. Everyone was happy. It was gorgeous weather. Yeah, I, I could winning yeah, yeah. and winning convincingly other than the Scotland game. <laughs> we'll, we'll gloss Germany, over that. 2-0 at Wembley. And I've, I, I saw a pub full of people cheer images of a small girl crying. I love this country so, so much. Jesus Christ. Well, I would, I would put that, I would put that under one of the less uh, attractive ones uh, or instances, well, I but think, I think we're, we're allowed to laugh because the, uh, the social justice warrior that started her 
a GoFundMe page that raised like £30,000 and then had his ex-hamster account leaked. It was incredibly funny. And that girl's family must have had a fair bit of money to get Euro tickets and flights to England there and back. So I think... Well, yeah, pro- uh, yeah. Uh, apart right, apart from that, yes. Laugh at a kid in the street. But you get, you get swept up in the moment of it all. You get swept up in the... Come on! <laughs> It was three yeah, separate but, so, group chat be, pitches for, for a week. Granted, beating Germany 2-0 at Wembley is probably the after after so often, you know, getting the short end of the stick when it go when it went against Germany is that's probably gotta do a lot of England fans some good. Granted, I would probably put laughing at a tra- crying child under one of the reasons why. English fans turned Europe against them. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, because I think we we should also talk about how England played because it started off a little bit, mm, you know. It, eh. Yeah, it was very tentative, I think is the word. Yeah, I, in all honesty, I thought Germany would have a good chance after what England put down on the group stages. Well, that's the thing. Two... Mediocre team, one nil wins and a terrible nil nil draw with Scotland. I pegged England after the group stages as mediocre, fully like fully admitting it. Oh god, yeah, but I I don't know. But there there are moments in in football where you think, okay, it's just gonna happen. Yeah, it's just happening. Like I wasn't confident at all. I thought it was going to be like two one Germany. Like England went one 0 I was like, "Come on!" And then <laughs> it happened. Like Sterling gives the ball away. Muller was clean through, and it. When that ball went wide at that post, I think I cheered more than I did for for both goals that day. Yeah, I was about to say that if that that goal goes in, everyone forgets the fact that Germany up until that point had been absolutely shocking. Uh, granted, yeah, I, they had more possession. They had a few chances, but all in all, the Germany that we saw there, and we'll, we'll get to Germany as well in this episode, but the Germany we saw there, not all too much different than the Germany of World Cup 2018. No. Obviously, the the Ukraine game speaks for itself. I don't think anyone expected yeah. anything other than that. Yeah. As much as I don't like Jordan Henderson, it was kind of nice to see him get his first England goal for like 60-odd appearances because you could see how much it meant to him. Yeah, yeah. And I know, right, me and you had like a fairly heated argument about this. It wasn't a, <laughs> it wasn't a banterous discussion. It was like a full-on, if I was near you, I would have hit you type fight <laughs> over the penalty that England got against Denmark. Now, mm, mm, now mm. <laughs> you can present your uh, your case after mine. It was a penalty. He gets touched by two separate defenders at different times that take his legs out, and Raheem Sterling doesn't run slowly. And also, England should have had a penalty for a challenge on Harry Kane earlier in the game, so it kind of balances the world out. Um, I'm sorry. He literally, the touches he gets he was already halfway to the ground by the time the first leg touches him because he knew he went, he went and saw those two players were both coming at him. He was just like, I right, do you know what? I'm just going to let myself fall. Probably get a penalty. It might be a dubious one, but I'll get it anyway. 
Like, I'm sorry. He, you see him go down, start to go down before he gets touched by the first guy, which is why I firmly believe in my heart that it was not a penalty. Like, no way. If you're giving that, that's soft as shit. Sir, can I make a point, sir? Um, Look me in sure. the eye as well as you can over Zoom. And tell me, if you were in that situation, you wouldn't have done exactly the same thing. That doesn't stop it from being a dick move, even if I had done it. You cannot be this angry about it if you'd have done exactly the same thing. 99% of everyone would have done the same thing. I know, but it doesn't stop it from it doesn't stop it from being a dick move. And if the referee had his eyes checked. He probably would have seen that. There was VAR. They checked it. And they said, should yeah, have seen it. They should fine. have seen it. VAR should have seen it. On the subject of VAR, just a quick sidetrack. The, the officiating at this World Cup was actually really good, and VAR was used pr- like properly. You mean the Euros, right? What did I say? World Cup. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Oh, Wishful gonna, thinking that you made it to World Cup final. Oh, Jesus Christ. So... Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. Like the officiating, we have we didn't have a single time except this penalty that we had to dig, have a dig at the at the officiating at this at this whole uh, tournament. I think that's a very very good. It's probably a good resume for uh for for UEFA. It's probably the best resume UEFA are going to get from us if we're being honest. So, from uh, a penalty awarded and scored by. King Harry <laughs> to three missed. Okay, here's I'm I'm gonna give you one thing, and this kind of plays into my whole bit. I, like I had a whole thing about just Southgate's decision making. As much as he got a lot of things right, there are some things where I think, my man, no, 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 no. First of all, we're we're gonna go back to the beginning of the tournament. Having seen what Jack Grealish brings to England's play every time he was subbed on, how do you not start him? I'm going to make a point. So as much as everyone was like, oh, give me Jack Grealish. I think, I think Southgate got it right because Southgate got it right because I think his impact off the bench was better than it was. He started against Czech Republic, okay? And it just wasn't a great game. There was no time. There was no, it just wasn't good. I think his creativity is better off the bench when he can come on and run at tired people. Okay. Which would would be my, my backup to that. Fair enough. But then one, one decision that I think you will question with me is why you bring on Rashford and Sancho in the 118th minute of the European cup final who haven't played at all during the tournament or very little and definitely do not have the confidence level you need going into a penalty shootout like that. I I can understand bringing them on because Rashford has taken penalties for United before and buried. I know Sancho. I I know I can them for Dortmund but I I get the point 
They don't it have the confidence to every for penalty them. shootout, though. You know, in I'm gonna I'm gonna use the reference again because it's my my closest one that I can remember. Would be United bringing on Juan Mata and Alex Tellez for two centre halves in the Europa League final. It's like you bring on players that want to take penalties. So if you look at the players he brought off in that final for Rashford and Sancho, because Saka was already on. Yeah. The players he brought off were Kyle Walker, who probably wouldn't have taken one, and Jordan Henderson, who last time he took a penalty for England, missed it. So... I get get that, but then still, I think... I know, I know Rashford and Sancho have the ability to take a penalty and a good one. And they both have buried them for their clubs. And that was the thinking behind that. That, is, that all makes 100% sense. But still, they had, their confidence was shot. I mean, Rashford barely played a role during the, whole, during the whole tournament. And Sancho, everyone was screaming for Sancho to come on. He does play. And gets praise from Rio Ferdinand as well, you know, uh, after the Ukraine match. And then just doesn't play another role, doesn't play another minute in the starting 11 again. It's just their confidence just wasn't going to be high to begin with. And then you throw them in a pressure situation, you know, it's Wembley, it's England. They're in the first final in 55 years. The amount of pressure probably would have crushed a normal person the fact that they didn't shit themselves on the way to the spot already speaks volumes for them like that they missed i'm like at this point i'm not surprised okay yeah okay and as for bukayu saka someone who's never taken a uh, a professional first team penalty but there's the, there's a video going round of Southgate asking those three players, do you want to take a penalty? And all three of them said yes. So, so the, the confidence in themselves was there. I think the only thing that Southgate probably botched was the order in which the penalties were taken. Because I think Jack Grealish would have scored his or would have yes. taken a better penalty than Saka. The Raheem Sterling argument, I don't get because I don't think I've ever seen Sterling take a penalty. Yeah, neither have I. So that's that's difficult to say, but I think definitely the Jack Grealish one and uh, British sport radio channel Talk Sport or Talk Shite. One of their hosts was like, "Oh, if I was Southgate, I'd be fuming at Jack Grealish, not wanting to take a penalty." And then Jack Grealish came out and was like, "Well, no, I said I would take a penalty. I was like one of the next two to go up." So yeah, yeah. the player decides whether they want to take one, but at the end of the day, yeah, okay, Southgate probably botched the order. Oh, the, the order and, definitely. You should have had you should get you should have had the confidence of a Harry Kane or a Harry Maguire taking the fifth penalty. Oh my god, Harry Maguire's penalty. Have you seen the footage from the goal cam? Oh, it just goes black. He breaks the camera. <laughs> Slabhead. He's hit that like it over. Go on. It's amazing. <laughs> Oh, that was the best penalty England have ever taken in the history of English football. Is the best penalty ever taken in an England shirt, one hundred percent. And you know, Saka missed that penalty, and there was like 15, 20 minutes of not even that, like 10, 10 minutes of being like really pissed off. 
and then the sort the sort of the adrenaline fades out of it and it's like well you know let's take stock here and let's refocus yeah yeah i don't think i i could not be more unbelievably proud of every single one of those players yeah i mean like, that... and it the back the, the i don't want to give it too much time because i don't want to talk about it but you kind of have to and yeah. The stuff that happened after is absolutely disgusting, but it's it's been good to see ever literally everyone go against it. Like people, yeah, they, yeah. there was a story. Some some kid had a university place rescinded because they saw something on his Twitter. Uh, some bloke made the mistake of putting where he works in his Twitter bio. Everyone reported it to him, and he got the sack. You know, people are standing up to it. Call people out, report it. Just, I'm so proud of those, of all of them. Rashford yeah, they, will get I, better I, yeah. once he's had his surgery. Sancho will get better now he's going to play in the Premier League, <laughs> which FYI, so happy about. But we can talk about that on a <laughs> transfer window episode. And Saka will be one of Arsenal's first names on the team sheet next season. One yeah. penalty won't define yeah, but their All career. three of them. All three of them have such a bright future ahead of them still. And you have to think about it. It's, you know, the 19, 21, and 23. And they've got so much ahead of them. So I think, yeah, those taking away, taking nothing away from that England team because that England team put on a performance and a show that was deserving of a final and maybe even a title. But I, you know, we touched on the thing now, we touched on the, the ugliness of some of the English fans. And I think, you know, it was also a little bit of a reason why, as to why, you know, you, you said it yourself, like everyone in Europe, maybe even the world does not want England to win. The only one person, the only people who want England to win that final is because are English fans themselves. And I think it's a little bit to do with the fact that some English, and we put them, we put fans in quotation marks because, hmm. I don't really want to give them that, but it's, it's things like, you know, the laser pointers in Schmeichel's face during the decisive penalty in the semi-final. He saved the penalty. Unbelievable. It's the issue of just that it's unsportsmanlike. You don't do, you don't pull that shit in a, in a final, you know, the like, yeah. Okay. You know, maybe you can be a bit gleeful about, about Germany losing, but like some of the tweets that, that were fired off after with the, with the photo of the crying German German girl there in the stands were absolutely disgusting. Oh yeah. Like they were on a level with, with some of the tweets that, you know, the, the, the racist fans put out about Rashford and Sancho, probably the same ones, the same people. And, you know, it's, and it's also the scenes around the, around the state, around Wembley stadium ahead of the final, which were also, unbelievable and it's just and and then you know to boot the disgusting reactions after losing the final it's just all of those things compounded just didn't put sat like as sad as it sounds like a few idiots ruined it for the rest of them but it didn't put english fans in a good light yeah yeah and i'm not it's it's a it's a minority and when you look at the images from wembley it seems like quite a large minority trying to storm the stadium yeah. w- without tickets. And it's like, 
the FA want to want a bid for the 2023, uh, the 2030 World Cup, sorry. Never going to happen after that. Never going to happen after that. Yeah. It's, it, it's, those, it's those things, you know, a few idiots have to ruin it for the rest of them. But as you also said, you know, the idiots seem to be a little bit larger than a minority this time around, as sad as it sounds, because there's so many, so many people, so many fans like yourself who just loved the summer of football. As you said, you know, just unbelievably proud of the team, just loved the energy, loved the atmosphere, loved getting everyone involved. And that's what football should be and what, what this tournament should have done. But sadly, as many of those fans as there were, there were also, you know, as you said, a bit larger than a minority who, for lack of a better word, were just assholes, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the final in a, in a, in a local golf club with, with my mates and saw some people I've not seen in, in ages. And it was singing Sweet Caroline at the top of your lungs. Uh, I nearly blew That's my what it voice be. out cheering for Luke Shaw. Like that. I sent you that voice message of me the next day. Like, hello to this. Oh, it was, a, it was like Darth Vader had entered the chat. We can't record <laughs> today, Lewis, because I can't talk properly. <laughs> and, and that was it. But let's move on to, from England and the assholes that, that, you know, nearly ruined it. Let's talk drama. Let's yeah. talk France. Oh yes. I, I'm I'm so ready for this because it just seems that drama and you know being pissy little divas just kind of is an is almost an obligation if you play for the French national team. Because as you told me, you you reminded me of this um right before we started recording was that you know was the 2010 drama in the French camp in the World Cup uh in South Africa where at some point, players revolted around Nicolas Anelka against uh, Raymond Domenech. And, you know, it's it's stuff like that that happened again. This time it wasn't a, a revolt against, you know, Didier Deschamps because, you know, obviously this guy is a World Cup winning manager and he put France in this glorified position that they were in going ahead or going into this tournament. But the players, they dug at each other. Like, oh my days, some of the stuff that came out afterwards, like... The hotels weren't posh enough or players were sniping at each other mid-match and players' parents were berating each other's children's performances to each other in the team hotels. Like I think it was Benzema's mom and who's having a dig at Antoine Griezmann's mom or something, something, something stupid like that. Well, it's this, things like that. This is amazing. And I don't know whether you've seen Adrienne Rabio's mother, but she no. looks like the type that would blame other people. Like... Oh, like a Karen, Mrs. Rabio, uh, you know, your son uh, was caught skipping school and it would be no, not my, not my boy. It must have been the other lads leading him astray. So she told Mbappe's <laughs> parents to make their son less arrogant, which I can kind of agree with because he was an absolute bellend at this tournament and uh, him not yeah, scoring yeah. at all made me very happy. And then she laid oh, yeah. him miss missing the penalty <laughs> to Pogba's family because he lost the ball halfway up the pitch for the Swiss equaliser, ignoring the fact that, that Kim Pembe fell over. <laughs> God forbid her precious Adrian do anything wrong. I'm sorry, but Adrian Rabio was not... The fact that he was even starting during that tournament, I'm very surprised. Honestly, the fact that there's so much talent in that French team, they had to shoehorn him in at left wing back. <laughs> 
after yeah. Hernandez and Luca Dean got injured. <laughs> Utterly ridiculous. And that's the thing. They they looked they looked like they were gonna go far. They had a team to do so. And players then, at least. And then and then they hit Switzerland. And and the wheels just come on. Switzerland are not a big team. No, I think Switzerland's best player is Jordan Shakiri, who can't get a game for Liverpool most of the season. Probably, yeah. Uh, No, I'd say Jan Zoma is probably their best player. Yeah, well, outfield player, sorry. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but... (laughs) Honestly, them losing on penalties, I called it as well. We were sat in in the work hotel watching it on the big screen, I was like, Mbappe's going to miss this penalty. He's going to miss this penalty. And I've, I've got people going, oh, shut up. He misses that penalty. <laughs> I, just, I was like, yes! Come on! <laughs> it's like, are you Swiss? It's like, no, I just... I, he took their free kicks. He took their corners. Why are you on free kicks and corners when you blatantly can't take them? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I think Mbappe's now let a little bit of his... Uh stardom go to his head because you know now he's now he's going all you know ah, i don't see a, a a future at psg which granted i mean to be fair yes they're playing in the french league yeah they're playing in the french league but this team like with the players they've signed probably this is you know their time to go for a champions league and now you know he's apparently in contact with real madrid you know he's he's definitely let some of his fame go to his head a little bit in that sense. Like he, you know, for the guy to be like, Oh yeah, I'm taking everything. I'm taking corners, free kicks, everything. I'll take a free kick from a, from behind the halfway line because you know, I'm killing Mbappe. You know, it's, it was a little bit of a, it's, it's almost like, it's almost a little bit joy gleeful at that point where to say, you know, yeah, it's nice to see him miss the penalty because it kind of brought him back down to earth. But, you know, I think at that point, like, in all fairness, in the penalty shootouts that I watched, the two players who I said were, you know, oh, there's there's no way Mbappe misses a penalty, you know, with 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 what he brings to the pitch. And I also said it ahead of Marcus Rashford's penalty in the in the final. It was like there's no way Rashford misses a penalty, especially you know when I had his penalty against PSG 2018 Champions League playing in my mind. You know, he rockets that top bins. So like, so I mean, I predicted them all wrong anyway. But, you know, I think it's just that French team needed a bit of a, of a wake-up call and a, and a bringing back down to earth because pff, they, they just went overboard. They really let that World Cup win in 2018 go to their heads. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't really argue either. And it's just oozing with quality, that team. But they're so, so disjoint. They're so disjointed. Like they brought Karim Benzema back in, who arguably yeah, yeah. maybe Paul Pogba, but Benzema was probably their best player. And it's like, well, imagine if you could play as a team, not eleven individual players. <laughs> like they would, yeah. They, they stars don't make a title charge. World Cup win. They would have just completely steamrolled. They would have done a France. Would have gone back to back to back to back. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's probably the the best the best way to put it. Really, you know, a, stars don't make a title charge, and you know, a, you can have so many individual or individually good players, but that doesn't mean anything really. 
before we uh, we talk about your beloved DFB, <laughs> can we just ever so quickly touch on Turkey? Because there were so many experts or people in the know, so many of their dark horse for the tournament. And I was giving it the big one as well. We did like a Euro fantasy thing and people were like, oh, are Turkey any good? And I was like, oh, I, I think they could probably get out of the group stages. Yeah, they got some, got some decent players. And uh, they do every single game, <laughs> scored one goal. And it, although the goal, what a goal. And it was scored by a player I told someone to put in their fantasy team. So, wait. Well, he, I think you put it best. They were statistically at minus seven goal difference and having lost all their group stage matches. They were statistically the worst team out of all teams that competed in this tournament. They were worse than North Macedonia. <laughs> Yeah, but that's Goran Pandev being an absolute baller. <laughs> oh, his days at Inter. Oof. Still plays as well. It's utterly... But yeah, Turkey, I I don't really know. I mean, started, they got off to the worst possible start with that home, with that home goal. Yeah, nah, not really. And it was just downhill from there. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show how much you can hype up a team and then it just goes bitterly wrong. But uh, that's almost a perfect segue into not Germany, but Belgium. And we'll touch on Belgium before we before we head over to uh, my favorite bashing train of Germany. Um, Belgium were probably one of the hottest favorites along with England and France for the for the title, if I'm not going to, if I'm being honest. You know, they have... They've had they've they've seemed to have this golden generation since the World Cup 2014. And uh, it's so hard to it's so hard to peg them because they, you know what they're going the same way as England's golden generation of the early 2000s. I've got two reasons why Belgium won't win anything. With with the amount of talent they've got, they won't win anything. The defense is not good enough. Vermalen. I forgot Thomas Van Marlen played football up until he started a Euro <laughs> 2020 match. Thomas Mounier passed it. Vertonghen plays for Benfica now. Like, mate, just give it up. Toby Alderweireld is not who he once was. And I can't even name the left back. They play a back three, don't they? So there is uh... no left back. Because they don't have one. Like, the last player to play left back for Belgium was Jordan Lukaku. And those that watch Serie A will know he's a winger for Lazio. And the other reason is, well, the, the manager's just not good enough. Yeah, yeah. I Roberto mean, he, puts a, he put a solid team. Just not good enough. Got relegated with Wigan. Granted, he won the FA Cup, but come on, that, that was a freak game. Ben Watson scoring an injury time. Not good enough for Everton. But, I mean, Sean Maloney is on his coaching staff. Like, come on. He's got Thierry Henry as a uh, as a, as a striker coach or as a, a co-manager. You know, he could could bring something in there. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, it's you're you're not wrong. It's just there are too many there are too many puzzle pieces that need to come together. And in that sense, England showed how you have how you utilize the talent that you do have, and then also show that Belgium just are missing a one too many puzzle pieces to really make a title charge. And it's, it's kind of sad because that golden generation of Belgian players might 
very well never win anything because I'd say Qatar 22 is probably their last chance at a title because then at that point, that golden generation is getting too old anyway. So mm, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to say. But I think going from one Central European team who are a little bit washed out to one who's definitely washed up, Germany just, as, as I said before, they really haven't taken that much of a step forward since the World Cup 2018. If we're being completely honest, Löw has changed so many things and all for it to come back right to the, like maybe like they took half a step forward compared to the 2018 tournament. But other than that, it was just shit. Like, I'm sorry. You win one out of four matches. You don't deserve anything more than to be knocked out of the round of 16. I mean, they barely got out of the group stages. You know, it was a blind luck with that Goretzka winner or it wasn't even a winner. It was to tie it up in this 82nd minute. You know, it's just so many things so wrong because Germany had individually speaking, Germany probably had one of the best teams there. Like if you're looking at individual players, they were definitely, they, they were definitely like, they were maybe just outside the top five teams on individual talent alone. But that team just, first of all, stop playing three, five, two, because you don't have the players for it. The only reason you did keep the three, five, two really was because it worked against Portugal and Portugal are shit. And even then Germany conceded two. So I, I, I don't know whether you, whether you agree with me now, but I'm of the opinion that Jurgi Love should have left after 2014, should have gone out on that high. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Because Everyone in Germany then, at, this, at this point now knows that that's what should have happened. This, this identity crisis almost of German football would be, it'd be someone else's fault, but he would be, you know, he'd be on TV talking about his Germany. He'd be like some god. Whereas now he's sort yeah. of, you know, the, the arsehole. He wouldn't leave. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the phrase, either you leave a hero or you stay long enough to see yourself become the villain, is 100% Jogi Löw. I Germany's a weird one. I think Hansi Flick will probably rejuvenate. And obviously, you've got there's a lot of young players coming through. Yeah. And yeah. I think that the, the biggest positive for Germany was probably Robin Gosens. Yeah. Yeah. And he's more of a winger anyway than a, than a left wing back. <laughs> Germany are a weird one. I, World Cup 2022 next year, no hope. Unless there's a, a whole host of like fresh blood that comes in. Yeah, I mean, World Cup 2022, I'm not really pegging too m- or putting too much uh, hope on that because, as you said, you know, it's only a year in advance. Um, it's kind of, it, I wouldn't say it's a lost cause, but because Hansi Flick has obviously done so much. But I think. Um, in general, probably you should probably you can sack off the sack off a title charge in 2022. 
Well, shall we finish our team round up with, I think, a team that everyone sort of fell in love with a little bit? Oh, yeah. We'll talk Denmark. Because they had that horrin- like oh, they had that horrific start. Yeah. I think anything happening like that, it's it's a player collapsing on the pitch. It's one of your players, you know, he has a heart attack. He goes into cardiac arrest on the field. Like that is that it doesn't get much worse than that. And as you know, for that to be the start of Denmark's title chart charge for them to then come out the way they did and they made it to the semifinals that's the furthest Denmark have made it in an international tournament in years I mean I don't remember Denmark making it that far in the last 20 years no I don't think they've gotten that far since they won it in 92 and, yeah, yeah yeah and oh my god like, I, I was working for that game I mean, yeah. like, we, we just sat there I was nearly in tears like fuck Because you don't know you what can't, you, it's you something that you never. It's like a, yeah, yeah. You, you you just sit there and you're just kind of like, this is is this actually happening? Is this 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 can't be this can't be real? This is this is some type of bad film. Like you're just sitting there and you're just kind of like, no, this no no no. I stop stop. Who whoever is making this movie stop? And you you like it unbelievable stuff from Simon Kier to act the way he did and to react the way he did oh yeah. because started, he did started off he, he was so unbelievably well he was the first person there you know he, he sort of moved his tongue out put him in the recovery position and then started cpr yeah not to mention he also managed to get you know dude he's a freaking first aid worker like put him on first aid tried yeah. to comfort ericsson's wife and I, I just ever so slightly moving away from this i, I the BBC got a lot of shit on Twitter and in the media and that for like staying with it. But yeah. it wasn't the BBC's feed. So the way these tournaments work, sorry, this is getting quite job technical now, but the way these, these tournaments work is UEFA will film it. And it's a thing called a, called a world feed. So every, every broadcaster be it Sky Germany, BBC, ITV, whatever one of the Danish ones is called, they have access to the same feed. All they do is put their graphics and their comms over it, like their, their commentators over it. Yeah, yeah. So it was the, uh, the, the, the camera operator for the world feed and the director for the world feed that were choosing to film Ericsson or film his, his wife in tears, just go to a wide of the stadium. Eh? It's not difficult. And the BBC, yeah, people yeah. like slagging off the BBC. It's like the only thing that I can think of that they plausibly could have done was cut back to studio. But chances are they weren't in the studio. <laughs> so you can't. Yeah, yeah. It's such a difficult thing. It's such a horrific thing. But luckily, he's fine. Like he, he, he was awake yeah. when he left. He's alive, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, the Danish, the Danish dynamite, as they were uh, so, so nicely christened, they really 
they sorted themselves out. And I mean, they beat the odds. They only won one match out of the three in the group stages. They seriously beat the odds to make it all the way to the semifinals. And in the end, like, like we've already argued, a rather dubious penalty does knock them out. But, you know, on the whole, you have to agree that England deserved it um, or deserved to make it to the final. But it would have been so nice to see Denmark make it to the final as well, just after the 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 tournament they had, because it was just such a it was such a great display of what they could they they brought back and they and they took away from that horrendous first match and you know in, in that incident. So they really, really they pulled it, they turned it around and they pulled it back. So I think you know, hats off to Denmark for the for the tournament they played because it doesn't get much better than that for for Danish fans, especially after the horrific scenes from the first match. And to get to the semi final, to go ahead in the semi final, like that free kick from Damsgaard was, oh, it, it was amazing, and it was the only free kick of the tournament. Yeah. In a tournament full of own goals, there were more own goals in this Euros than there were in all the other Euros combined. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's almost a little bit of freak show, really. But I want to touch on on something that you... Because you you said, you know, it wasn't the BBC's feed. It was the UEFA world feed, basically kind of indirectly making it UEFA's fault for zooming in on, you know, Ericsson or his wife. Um that's probably not the only thing that we can criticize UEFA for because I think if there's a if there is a loser from this whole tournament, it has to be UEFA because whether like there's so many things that UEFA should be should be criticized for. You know what it, they shown time and time again that money drives their decisions. At the end of the day, it's not any type of. Uh, value or you know it's not there are no values at you at uefa it's just money you know it's and it's shown by i'm sorry but the uk had thirty-two thousand daily new coronavirus cases and a seven-day uh infection rate per hundred thousand people of 287 and they still allowed sixty thousand fans into wembley stadium that's that's a brain dead decision then to not allow the rainbow flag to be displayed by stadiums in Europe, especially Munich and the Allianz Arena or the ad boards at matches in Hungary and Russia or when those teams played. And to then give a bullshit reason like, oh yeah, it's because it's a political stunt, but then you're allowed to show the, Manuel Norris is allowed to have the rainbow flag as a captain's armband. Like there is, there was no continuity on that issue. And the rainbow flag is not a political freaking prop. It is a flag that's supposed to show inclusivity and unity and tolerance by everyone. Which is something that UEFA pledged before the Euros actually happened. Like, this is everyone's Euro 2020. Don't think it is. Yeah, I'm sorry. Bullshit. <laughs> I think UEFA botched it really when they decided to have the Euros in several different countries it's just it was never Despite, gonna work. yeah yeah it was never gonna work and then there's all that talk of italy and saudi arabia hosting the world what the fuck get out 
Honestly, it will happen because obviously, you know, money. But yeah, you know, the Euros should have just it should either have been in, in Holland, England, or Italy. They're the only three countries I think it could feasibly have been in. Yeah, or you or you could have put Germany who had, you know, they they just just to give a little bit of a of a of a comparison, Germany had the same it had the had the infection rate per hundred thousand people at eight. Whereas the whereas the UK had two hundred and eighty seven, and they for some reason chose to not chose still to fill Wembley Stadium with sixty thousand people, and it was just because they they were ta- there was talk of moving the final to Budapest because they could fill the stadium there because Hungary just decided that Corona doesn't exist in that country, and they can fill the stadium. Like I'm sorry, but. UEFA have zero spine and are no better than FIFA. It's just a corrupt organization that do not give a shit about anything more than money. Well, they're all assholes, let's be honest. Yeah. Should we yeah. should we finish on three three awards then? Yes, so, please. I have my picks lined up. I see I think one of my picks, and more importantly, one of my missions might might uh surprise you, but your choice for goal of the tournament. For this one, it was a toss-up between the Patrick Schick one from like over 50 yards versus Scotland um, and Paul Pogba's top bins goal against Switzerland because that was just way too sexy the way that thing curled in top bins. See, that, that's the thing. Pogba I don't know. against Switzerland is one of mine. But I'm, I'm choosing to omit Patrick Schick's goal against Scotland for... Luka Modric's one against Scotland, the outside of the boot, running onto it. I forgot about that one. Honest to God, the the behind angle from that might be the sexiest thing I've seen. And he doesn't he doesn't power through it. He just kind of flicks his foot at it, and it's just like finessed in. It's like stroked in with the outside of it. And you know what the best thing is as well. So. Uh, through work we get access to like the it's called the UEFA Hive and basically it's all the team's yeah. content gets put on there and we can pick and choose what we use and things like that we were watching Croatia training mm-hmm. after the Scotland game yeah, and he did yeah. it again in training he was doing it again nah. <laughs> he was doing it again <laughs> in training so it's like that is something he can just pull off whenever he wants it I, yeah, you've got me. You've got me convinced. That's goal of the season. Then, Modric outside of the boot. Big up. Done. A worthy winner. Close second. Big up. Paul Pogba against Switzerland. Though. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. See, I, I think we're going to disagree on player of the tournament as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. Let's see. See, I'm going to agree with UEFA and pick Donnarumma because I think. He pulled off performances definitely worthy of it. I mean, he 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 saved penalties in two separate penalty shootouts, and Italy did not concede more than three goals. Like they conceded three goals the whole tournament. Yeah, but was that? I can't remember any memorable Donnarumma saves apart from the the penalty saves in the final. Like that was that was down to Benucci and Chiellini. But anyway, in my opinion, anyway, and, and my pick would be Patrick Schick. Because I don't think it's an anyone, interesting one. I don't think anyone expect even Leverkusen fans expected him to be joint top scorer. 
Yeah, nah. And I'm he he for me is top score because Ronaldo put three out of five goals from the penalty spot. You've still got Schick a score. Only used one. You still have to score them, but it's definitely easier than to score from open play. You can't you can't argue with that. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. And some of Schick's goals were really well taken goals. Yeah. Mm, I'm still sticking with Donnarumma though. Because he made it to the final and he saved Italy's butt to the final and to the championship by and large. I'm not buying it. I tell you what, we'll put a poll out when we put the episode up and we'll let the people decide. Sounds like a plan. Um, team of the tournament then. I it can only be one really, can't it? Denmark. Like I was about to say, if if Oh yeah, England. I yeah, was going definitely. to say England. Like, I was even... <laughs> but to to lose Yeah, exactly. First, I, I was to lose their first two group games. Suffer something so horrendous as that and still get to within as you would put it a rather dubious penalty width of a final. I mean, come on, that's pretty special. Yeah. Unbelievably special. No, Denmark Denmark Danish dynamite for the team of the tournament. Big up, big up the Danish dynamite right there. Well, there we go. That is our extended episode on Euro 2020. We'll be back in between now and the start of the season with a couple of transfer episodes as and when time permits. But it is literally only like four weeks until, until the season starts again. So we won't be a lot away for very long. It's crazy. It's non-stop. Oh, no, never. <laughs> Football doesn't stop for anyone. I'm all for it. Oh, yeah. But I think we'll end it there for this one. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, it's been such a long time since I've said this. It's so nice. Um, and also don't forget to uh, make sure to find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, and our RSS feed at the 50 Plus One Football Podcast. You can take a look at all of our previous two seasons worth now of episodes and some of the specials and obviously this one. Um, but as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.